What does it mean to be a man? The December issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the question of anthropology. And for us as Lutherans, understanding what man is and who man is begins first and foremost with understanding who Jesus is and what he has done, how he is the perfect man. Pick up your copy today by visiting cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. The media is tone deaf to the music of religion in daily life. It's pure, blunt, and I think pretty despicable politics to try to paint people of faith with the bigot label. And if they do that, then the IRS is empowered to take away the tax exempt status of religious organizations that disagree. No one is worthless for whom Christ died. And of course, Christ died for all. We are not to make any distinctions based on social status or mental or physical ability or power or wealth or anything else. The gospel is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. The gospel is the power, not you making some decision. I tell you, Christ has decided for you. Believe it, and it's yours. Families putting up their manger scenes from the outdoor nativity store, love, issues, etc., Well, from what I've seen, and I've seen very little of it, but from what I've seen, the promise of life in a virtual reality, the metaverse, is at least so far rather underwhelming. It looks kind of cartoonish. It looks like, well, maybe some people would be attracted to this, going and meeting virtually with others for work or other activities. Is there promise in the technology as it develops, and what particular concerns should Christians have about the metaverse and virtual reality, especially when there are some Christians, the early adopters, who say, well, it's the future of the church. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to talk about Christians in the metaverse with Pastor Roy Askins, managing editor of the Lutheran Witness magazine. Derringer Dick will be alongside from the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. We'll discuss a new poll on Americans and religious freedom. There is a congregational exodus from the United Methodist Church. Some are saying as many as 5,000 congregations will leave before it's done. Mark Tooley will bring us up to date on, well, it's been planned, but it's actually finally happening. He'll bring us up to date on that. And then Pastor David Peterson will be alongside to begin a series on marriage enrichment. He's departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. Joining us to discuss Christians and the Metaverse, Pastor Roy Askins, managing editor of the Lutheran Witness magazine and author of a recent column, titled God's Reality. Roy, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Good to be back. What is the metaverse? So, Todd, the metaverse uh, is really a term used by Mark Zuckerberg, who is the owner and operator of what was once Facebook. They're not calling the company that owns Facebook Meta. And it's a term that he uses to talk about a whole constellation of technologies that seek to present another view, a version of reality to us. And so this constellation of technologies has a whole bunch of different terms that we'll get into later. But the the point is, there's a whole bunch of technology, and it's not all 
really developed at this point. So the fact of the matter is kind of the real expression of the metaverse, which if you're trying to think of an example, if you've seen some movies, there's a movie, I don't know, maybe uh, four or five years ago called Ready Player One would be one of these movies. Another movie uh, even earlier than that named uh, Surrogates with Bruce Willis in it would be another related movie where that talks about these technologies that basically present another view of reality. And, uh, and once again, it's a whole bunch of technologies Mark Zuckerberg anticipates it's including various types of marketplaces, various types of opportunities for folks to not only experience this sort of technology and this new reality in some sense, but also ways to participate and create in it and to make make money in it, essentially. Explain some of these terms, virtual reality, extended reality, augmented reality. Yeah, so extended reality is really the overarching term that encompasses all of these these different uh, realities, as it were. It's sometimes abbreviated XR, extended reality, and it, and it encompasses both virtual reality, augmented reality, and other ones as well. The virtual reality is a developing technology that seeks to basically replace all of your sensory inputs. And right now that's primarily audio and video. You've doubtless seen pictures or some of the YouTube videos are pretty hilarious where people have these goggles on that cover their vision and they've got these little things they're holding on to. And all you see is this person walking around in a room and it looks like they're trying to balance and then they fall over you know, that type of a thing. Well, what they're experiencing is virtual reality. Inside that headset, all they see, what they see is they're walking on this, you know, for instance, this beam over this chasm, and they're trying to walk on the beam and not fall off. And it's a fully immersive type of reality. It takes over what you see, what you hear, completely replaces that and gives you something different. And one of the key things, and this will get become later important later on in the interview, is the idea of an avatar. So in this virtual reality, you create an avatar or something that represents who you are in this virtual world. So it could be a figure, it could be an animal, you can dress it, change colors a lot of times, whatever you can do to create something digitally, you can make your avatar. That's how you're represented in virtual reality. Now, augmented reality basically overlays technology, overlays additional information on what you already see. So an example of this might be something like Google Glass, for instance. That was a big thing, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, in which they had a pair of glasses and additional information was displayed on the glasses that the person wearing the glasses could see. So for instance, you could walk down Main Street and be able to identify, oh, here's this store. It's got these things for sale at the grocery store. Or you could even imagine like going to the grocery store at some point in time, you've got augmented glasses on and you're seeing advertisements pop up as you walk down the aisle, coupons or whatever that you can select as you walk down the aisle and you pick up products. So augmented reality overlays additional information on top of reality, whereas virtual reality seeks to completely replace your, your reality with other inputs. What's mixed reality? So mixed reality and also a form of extended reality, it kind of sits halfway between virtual reality and augmented reality. And what this is, is for instance, you'll have say a pair of glasses on 
and you're watching, a good example would be like a video game, you're watching this character, say it's a Pokemon character, well then you can actually grab something in real life, like a water bottle, and use that to interact with the character on that you're watching in your glasses. So it's overlaying additional information, but it's also allowing you to interact with virtual information it's kind of fuzzy, to be honest with you. It's not hard and fast one way or the other. But all of them are, are various ways of giving you additional information or replacing what you're seeing and experiencing in reality. So talk about the many promises of these technologies. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, is these technologies do have a lot of things that they can provide and are being used in pretty astounding ways. There are some companies, for instance, like uh, Amazon and Walmart, that use virtual reality in their training sessions. Like they're actually teaching their employees how to interact with customers, how to do jobs, uh, all of these things in a completely virtual environment. So they have these headsets on and they're, you know, doing whatever they've been hired to do and they can train them using these virtual realities. Another example is um, is medicine. This has been done for a little while now, but suppose you have an expert in some type of particular surgery on the East Coast. Well, he can do surgery on somebody in the West Coast without actually leaving where he's at. They have ways of connecting him, and he's able to do this this surgery completely virtually. He's he's not actually physically there, and so one surgeon in one location is able to do surgery, you know, all over the world as a consequence of these types of technologies, which is pretty incredible. And then, of course, there are the opportunities that we have as individuals to expand our experiences and see other parts of the world. You know, just imagine traveling to a different part of the world in virtual reality, which is something you can do with very minimal cost, very minimal expense to yourself, and yet you can see and interact with what appears to be real world, right? We can create replicas of the real world in these virtual environments, and you can go experience that in some way. Now, I'm not sure this is a good thing necessarily. We'll talk about that in a minute, but that is certainly something we can do with it. What perils have even the advocates of these technologies anticipated? So there are a couple of different problems. One is it's just basic privacy. I mean, we already struggle with the idea of privacy in online environments as it is. Facebook collects massive amounts of information about us. And not just Facebook, but websites too. People don't realize just how much information is collected about what sites they're visiting, what they do on those sites, what they've purchased, We've all experienced, you know, you looked up something on Facebook or not on Facebook, on Amazon, and suddenly every website you go to after that is an advertisement for whatever you just looked at. Well, that's just a small manifestation of how much information is tracked about you. Well, part of the goal of this virtual reality in particular, kind of the metaverse in particular, is to get you and encourage you to spend more time in this online environment. So it kind of becomes the fundamental way that you interact with others and ironically the world in some fashion. And so the more you're there, the more information they have to collect on you and the more they're able to take advantage of that and to build something that specifically influences you because it knows more about you in some ways than you know about yourself. Privacy is, of course, uh, one problem with this. The other is economic inequalities. This is, of course, an issue that those in this realm are particularly concerned with, the, the tech elite. But the fact is having this sort of environment is likely to simply exacerbate this because as this develops, what's going to happen is you're going to have those who have the finances and the resources are going to be able to build out their digital experience in ways that are well beyond those who don't have these sort of financial capabilities. So it's going to probably exacerbate some of those economic inequalities as well. Why should Christians in particular have unique concerns about these technologies? 
So there are many concerns that Christians could have, but the two that I would like to focus on is uh, the idea of lack of appreciation or escape from reality, kind of the world around us, and this fact that God has created this and given this to us as a good thing, and then the rejection of the body that's inherent in this idea of virtual reality. So the, the first one, kind of this escape from reality, the whole idea of especially virtual reality, but the metaverse, is that it's experience-driven. And the idea behind this is that who you are, your identity as a human being, your understanding of what it means to be for you to be a human, is really a consequence of the experiences that you've had. And the more experiences that you've had, the more fulfilled life you've lived, the more of a complete person, I'm sure you've heard this language, complete person that you are. And this is seen in the way that some of the tech elite, those guys who are developing, uh, guys and gals, uh, men and women who are developing this technology, the way they talk about why they're developing it. One example is um, this guy named Mark Andreessen and what he calls reality privilege. And he talks about how those who are extremely wealthy are actually reality privileged. In other words, because they have so much financial resources at their disposal, they are able to live what he calls a more fulfilled life because they can travel more, they can meet more intriguing and interesting people, they have more opportunity to find a spouse that is a better spouse, at least as he sees this. They consider this as reality privilege. Now, the idea here, and so then what virtual reality does is it gives these opportunities to people, at least as they're hoping, it gives these opportunities to people who have less financial resources to experience something similar, to experience more of the world, to travel the world and experience other cultures. And then in these experiences to be therefore more fulfilled as human beings. Now, the problem with this, of course, is that it understands human being and what it means to be man. It understands this issue of Lutheran Witness is all about anthropology. It understands what it means to be man primarily as a consequence of the accumulation of your experiences, not who you are in Christ Jesus, as we're going to talk about in a little bit. So that's kind of the issue with virtual reality and and this uh, idea that we are escaping from reality. The idea of augmented reality is that the reality that we experience, that as I drive down the road, as I walk through the grocery store, whatever this might be, that this reality is simply not complete enough. In other words, I need more information. I need to overlay more things on it in order to make it a more intriguing or interesting experience. Both of them work from the fundamental idea that reality is broken. Now, in some sense, we can agree with that as Christians, as Lutherans. We acknowledge that, in fact, the world around us is corrupted by sin. But the solution to this is not by adding more corrupted experiences to our, our life than thus you know, making ourselves more fulfilled because we have more experiences, but rather to acknowledge that both, whether augmented reality or virtual reality, are completely empty apart from Christ Jesus. So go into a little more detail about how the metaverse and, their, and its advocates view the human person especially with respect to the human body. That's the second concern here with virtual reality and augmented reality is this rejection of the body. Now, we mentioned earlier in virtual reality, what you do when you enter into a virtual world is you create an avatar that's an expression of yourself in this digital space, right? So you might 
for instance, when you're in virtual reality, create a home where you would primarily live or enter and exit this world, where you would go from there to visit other places, right? And the representation of you in that home is your avatar. And so you can make this avatar whatever you want. And what's really interesting is when you listen to these these men and women who are developing this technology and the way they talk about this avatar, they talk about it as the expression of your true self, that your identity is really seen as you express yourself in this creation, this digital creation that is not real and that has no real connection to your physical body, right? If you wanted to be a unicorn with black hair and a rainbow colored tail, you could do that. And that's perfectly possible. It has no connection to who you are. And that, according to uh, this view, this view of mankind, is the true expression of who you are, essentially, right? And what this does then is, is it divorces your identity from your physical body and treats your mind as that which essentially creates who you are. It is self-definition, and as I said in the article, self-deification. I am defining myself according to my own mind, my own chosen identity. I mean, this is essentially the same problem you see in the transgender movement, that I define myself according to my own desires. And this is a fundamental problem for the Christian. Roy Askins is our guest. We're talking about Christians and the metaverse when we return. How does God define reality and our place in it? Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 14 consecutive years. Please help us cover all of our expenses again this year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2022. What does anthropology or the science of mankind, the study of mankind, have to do with Christmas? Well, it has everything to do with Christmas. As the December issue of The Lutheran Witness points out, to understand what man is and what it means to be man, we don't look to other men, but to Jesus Christ, the man. To subscribe to The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Comment and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to, to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or 
just to come into one study and, and sit down and talk for a while to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about Christians in the Metaverse with Pastor Roy Askins. He's managing editor of the Lutheran Witness Magazine and author of a recent column titled God's Reality. He's also a graduate of Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through 12th grade students. They also offer live interactive online classes for high school students worldwide. Learn more at flsplano.org, Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Roy, how does God define reality himself and our place in it? The question of this issue of the Lutheran Witness, uh, the question of anthropology, is a question of how do we understand who we are? And when you look at anthropology, when you look at sociology and how it works to define man, our modern anthropologies and sociologies essentially define man by looking at man, right? In other words, these men do this, these men do that, therefore we can say man is X. And our primary sample is mankind himself, as Lutherans, we look at anthropology a bit differently, and we instead of looking to ourselves, we actually look to how does God define us, and how does he define our place in his creation, in this thing that he made. And it really begins by his own creation, right? He defines us by creating with his words and by speaking in his revelation. So kind of taking the first part there, he defines us by speaking with his words. God created mankind as both body and soul, right? Uh, he, of course, created man with a physical body, but he breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living being. So man is understood fundamentally as both body and soul. And that the idea that these two are separate is itself a symbol of that which is broken about mankind, right? That the body could die and the soul continue on is not a good thing, but is actually an indication of man's brokenness. Therefore, the primary understanding of man for the longest time has been both body and soul. And here we actually have a great quote from Martin Luther. This is in uh, volume 54 of Luther's works where he talks about this. He says, I believe that God made the whole man from the dust of the earth for the text, Genesis 2-7, says that God made man. Man doesn't mean the body alone, but always means the body and the soul. And accordingly, the scriptures call soul the breath of life, right? So God defines us first by his act of creating, making us both body and soul. Now, God also defines man 
and his reality in relation to Scripture and his own revelation. And what Scripture reveals about mankind is that as a consequence of the fall into sin, man is, of course, both body and soul, but man is also now inclined toward evil. So we see this in Genesis 6, right before the flood, right? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the consequences of sin continue to reverberate through the years, and it continues even now. So we even have Jesus saying in Matthew 18, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So the scriptures also speak to who man is and that he is a sinful, fallen human being and that he is in need of redemption and forgiveness. And God does this by redeeming man in both body and soul. How do the assumptions of the metaverse contradict the incarnation of Christ? So the assumptions of the metaverse in relation to, in particular, anthropology, the way the metaverse defines man is by defining him apart from his body, by defining him solely in definition of his mind, right? So that's how the metaverse defines man. Now, in the incarnation of Christ, God turns this upside down. Once again, we don't look now as Lutherans toward man to define and understand who we are, but rather we look to God. If you have your copy of the Lutheran Witness with you, if you look at the cover, I think this is a fantastic way to get to this. We have this picture of the nativity and the Christ child there in the center of the picture. Everything is kind of dark around him as everybody's looking toward this Christ child and the light shining on him. And you have the infant child with the uh, the ox behind him looking on. But the title of the issue is Behold the Man. In Christ Jesus, in the infant laying in Mary's arms, we actually see mankind as he is meant to be, as he is in his perfection the perfect image of man in the infant Jesus Christ. That's what we see. And that's what the incarnation does, is it upends our understanding of man so that when we're looking to understand and define man, we don't look to mankind, but instead we look to God in Christ Jesus. So, the metaverse views man apart from the body. It views man primarily in in the sense of the mind, kind of in this Gnostic spiritual rejection of the body. But Christ becomes incarnate, and as we ended the previous question, God redeems body and soul by making Christ both body and soul, sending Christ to take on human flesh and to redeem this body and soul, mind, the whole thing altogether. Why must the church then be cautious about the technologies of the metaverse without rejecting their godly or helpful applications? The thing is, is the metaverse and the related technologies. And and here, I mean, you could include such things as even the technologies developed such as the telephone, right? And how it changed, the telephone vastly changed how we interact with each other and speak with each other. Things like, for instance, FaceTime. We were missionaries for a short time, and the fact that as missionaries over in Asia on Christmas Day, I could FaceTime with my parents and my wife's parents, and they could see the grandchildren, right? This whole idea wasn't even conceived of, at least you know, when I was a young child, I, I couldn't even imagine that idea, right? And there are many ways in which these type of technologies that enable us to connect with people over vast distances are good things, Right. And I'm even willing to say that perhaps even in some video games, this sort of immersive experiences uh, may not be entirely a bad thing. But I think the church does need to work on wrestling through the implications of what this means for the church. The fact is, 
the church continues to gather together as the body of Christ physically and and in person. And to reject that and to say that that's not a fundamental part of who we are, well, it's simply not Christian. The idea that the church could gather without physically gathering together has no place in the church. Christ did not redeem the church, did not redeem his people virtually, but in reality. And the church does not receive Jesus virtually, but in reality. As we hear the proclamation of his word from the pulpit, as the water is splashed on our foreheads, as we receive the body and blood of Christ in our mouths, these sacramental realities of the church and these sacramental places in which we receive God and his forgiveness that he gives us, this does not come to us virtually, but in reality. He redeems mankind as a composite whole, both body and soul. So the church needs to really wrestle with this. I think uh, in some ways these even call to question the idea of streaming services. I think churches need to be very careful with this idea because at a basic level, it just encourages people to stay home when in fact they need to be gathering together with their fellow members in the body of Christ. I think the other thing that this does, and in terms of helping the church think through these things, is a lot of these technologies, the virtual reality, augmented reality, allow us to kind of cultivate our experience and who we're around, like literally the people we choose to be around. If there's somebody on Facebook I don't like, I just ban him and he goes away. I don't have to worry about him anymore. Or if I went to go to a concert virtually, you know, Zuckerberg and his initial presentation of virtual reality showed these people going to these virtual concerts, right? And if I want to go to this virtual concert, I can just choose to say, for instance, reveal myself to these people or that people, and I can kind of choose the people that I'm with. And so it becomes a self-chosen reality, a self-chosen identity. I can be with who I want, uh, when I want. And it, I think, further exacerbates the echo chamber. But in the church, you don't get that choice. When you gather with the people of God, guess you have to sit next to? The guy that offended you last week and said something mean about your mom's soup. And you have to deal with the fact that he's sitting next to you. And so you have opportunities to learn repentance and forgiveness and service of people that frustrate and annoy you and people you don't like. In fact, this is the point. In the church, you have to sit side by side with sinners and hear the word of God proclaimed to sinners and hear that just as you're forgiven by the pastor as he stands up at the altar and says, I forgive you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so also is that guy next to you who sinned against you last week. And so also you learn to forgive him and live alongside him and with him. And so bringing ourselves out of that reality by using things like virtual reality and augmented reality are very dangerous and I think ultimately harmful for the church. This sort of virtual metaverse is not the future of the church. It is not how how we will gather together. Finally, how does the metaverse fit within the theme of the December issue of the Lutheran Witness magazine? As we talked about, the theme of the issue was anthropology and how the incarnation of Christ helps us understand uh, what it means to be mankind. So anthropology literally means the study of man, words about man, right? And uh, what is a man, right? And the incarnation of Jesus Christ is what defines this for us. We understand who we are as Lutherans. We understand what a man is by virtue of the fact that we look to Christ Jesus, who became man and is the man to whom we look in all things. And so throughout the issue, you're going to notice we have, for instance, Dr. Manuge who talks about secular anthropologies and how we compare as Lutherans. Dr. Francisco talks about original sin and the Flation controversy. But in this article, I was hoping to help us get to the fact that we are not predominantly mental 
or spiritual beings. We do not define ourselves by how we think about ourselves, by what our mind says, but rather we are defined by who God is, how he has made us, and how he speaks about us as his children. Folks, a subscription to the Lutheran Witness magazine would make a great Christmas gift for your Lutheran family members and fellow parishioners. An annual print and digital subscription is less than $20. Find out more at cph.org slash witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective, the Lutheran Witness magazine, cph.org slash witness or 1-800-325-3040. Pastor Roy Askins is managing editor of the Lutheran Witness magazine and author of a recent column titled God's Reality. Roy, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a new poll on Americans and religious freedom with Derringer Dick from the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. Clear, concise, consistent. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, president of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well-lived. Truth. Freedom, Vocation, Concordia University, Chicago, cuchicago.edu. Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about our Why for Life Washington, D.C. Youth Conference. Deadline for registration is December 15th. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org.